You're learning. Give yourself grace. And if you do feel a fear, fear, false evidence appearing real, go flush that out. Go ask the question. You cannot let what other people are saying, the outside chatter, you, you can't let all that get to you. Don't give up. If it's in your heart, in your spirit, don't give up. That's my whole point of my podcast. Like, you can do this. There are trade-offs. There are always trade-offs. You can't fail. There's either wins or lessons. And you need the lessons for your next win. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jess. I am the host and creator of the Art of Speaking Up podcast. I'm a career coach and full-time podcaster, and my mission is to help women find their voice and really thrive in their corporate careers. Today, I am doing an interview, and not just an interview, but one that I got to actually do in person for the very first time. So today, I am chatting with a fellow podcast host. Her name is Felicia Anrose Enuha. And Felicia is the host of the Trill MBA Show podcast, and her mission is to help Black women survive and thrive in the workplace. In this conversation, you're going to hear Felicia share powerful strategies for navigating some of the landmines and sticky situations that can pop up in corporate environments. And she walks through the nuances of how pieces of advice like be your authentic self and be more assertive can have unique implications for Black women because of the racism and bias that is still unfortunately pervasive in the corporate space. You'll also hear her talk about her experience as a Black woman in corporate America, and she very generously and candidly shares advice to help all of us be stronger, more effective supporters of our colleagues who might have different identities or who might have different lived experiences than we do. I was so grateful to have the opportunity to have this conversation in person with Felicia, and my hope is that it'll help you strategize when it comes to your corporate career and also be a more empathetic, understanding, and inclusive coworker and leader in the process. I can't wait for you to hear this powerful conversation, so let's dive in. Hi, everyone. My name is Felicia Ann Rose Anuha, and I am the executive producer, creator, and host of the Trill MBA show, the career management podcast for Black women. And I am an MBA by trade. I call myself the Trillist MBA because, quite frankly, I'm probably too honest for corporate, which is fine. And I want to help people survive and thrive in corporate. I think corporate is trash, but I love the paychecks. So... (laughs) So you already started to get into my second question, but what drove you to start the podcast? I just kept hitting my head against the wall. I And I know you can relate to this. So I go, I get my MBA because I don't want to be the broke friend. That's really why I got my MBA because my friends were going to law school. And so got my MBA and I started working my first full-time job. Oh, God, it was the worst. I struggled. And then the second one, I struggled. And the third one, and I'm trying to get promoted. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to 
get the organization to see me as high potential talent. And I just really wanted to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Ursula Burns, she became the CEO of Xerox during my summer internship between my first and second year of business school. And I was so excited because here was this chocolate black woman with natural hair. And like, I was like, oh my God, I could really do this. And then quickly I found out that maybe not you. (laughs) And I've been struggling. And so that was, I graduated from business school in 2010. And I mean, I can get a job. I could do great work. But for whatever reason, I kept getting blocked and getting promoted. And I realized, I started to realize where I was failing. But at the same time, I was like, oh, well, let me help people. Let me take them along on this journey too, because nobody teaches you this. And if you grew up like me, a single parent household, my mom was in education. She was a paraprofessional. She was a teacher's aide. Um, my grandma dropped out of school in the ninth grade and she was a pothead affectionately, but my grandma was also a cosmetologist. Let me, let me do her right. (laughs) So my grandma did hair for a living. And then she also did like, um, nursing aid type work later on when, you know, you can't be a cosmetologist forever unless you really take care of your hands and stuff and take care of your back and all those things. But back then you just worked and you worked till you just drove yourself into the ground. So that was kind of her professional path. And then, you know, I didn't have many people in my family who weren't like teachers or nurses and stuff like that. So I didn't have anybody in corporate that I could go to and be like, hey, uh, my boss is like being an asshole. So like, what do I do I didn't have that. I would tell my mom, mom, this is happening to me. And I'd cry. And she'd be like, okay, baby, I'm going to pray about it. So (laughs) So what was your journey of figuring some of these things out like? I'm the type of person, I don't like the journey. I tell my audience all the time, y'all know the journey. (laughs) I just want to get there. But it was basically, I got laid off for the second time. And I was like, okay, Felicia, because what I did notice is that people the organization liked, whether they really were doing great work or not, because we all know the people we work with is blowing smoke screens and bullshit. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they don't get laid off. They get, they get promoted in the layoff. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just like, well, I'm doing the work. My work has results. Like, what am I doing wrong? And I would get this feedback, and I really hate this feedback because nobody explains what it means. But I would get this feedback, it's your how. It's your how. And so then I'm trying to contort myself and change myself and change my personality. And I realized there are some things you can do. And my favorite book, I know there's a plant here. I'm going to move the plant. (laughs) But my favorite book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I read this book after that layoff. And that was really the beginning of me realizing like, oh, I haven't been thinking through my communication for impact. I definitely have always been a person where I'm very passionate about what I think and I want you to know. And I never thought about, well, if I get you, if you know it, if I tell it, then 
How are you going to respond? How does that make you feel? How are you going to react? I never mm-hmm. thought it through. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was the beginning of me realizing like, oh, that's what that means about the how. That is so perfect because one of the big things that we're going to be talking about together are these sort of tips and things that I share around speaking up, but specifically getting your perspective as a black woman and not just your own experiences, but also from the women who follow your work and who are part of your community. I have themes that I talk about on the Art of Speaking Up podcast very often, authenticity, imposter syndrome, finding your voice. And as you and I have talked about, there's nuances to these topics. And so we really want to unpack and get into those nuances. And so I'll share the themes with you and just sort of get your thoughts on what does this theme mean for you as a black woman? What are some of the nuances around it that you want to shine a light on? So the first one, this is a big one. The first one is authenticity. (sighs) You know what's hard about this? I'm having my own personal struggle with this idea of authenticity. And it has been a continuous struggle I remember when I started working my first job out of business school and I will never forget this day. We were at some like meeting, some big meeting and one of the like VPs or presidents or whatever, he was there amongst the, you know, I call us the, the, the peasants, but you know, your mid-level managers and we were having this conversation during the lunch part of whatever this day was. And I'll never forget. I don't remember his name, but I know he he wasn't from the U.S. and he had an accent, but I don't remember his name. But he definitely was Caucasian. And he said, nobody can be their authentic selves. You can't be authentic at work. Like, that's a farce. I'm tired of people saying be authentic. And that always resonated with me because... Then I I took that, I internalized that like, oh yeah, you're never going to be liked. Especially with how that situation ended. It was like, you're never going to be liked for who you are. Even though they told you and I was, I interviewed for jobs. I had 16 final round interviews coming out of business school or like out of that first semester where you're interviewing for full time, your second year. And I only got the one job. Because I had made a conscious decision that I, the final rounds, I was going to be me. I wasn't going to put on this act. I was just going to say, hey, I'm looking to be my authentic self. And so this company, the people that interviewed me, they were like, oh, no, we want you. To, yes, that's what we want to hire more people like you. We want to we, we're really passionate about diversity and inclusion. If you are interviewing with a company that's in Minnesota. I don't care who you are. And they tell you something like that, run. Because they don't have it right. They struggling to get it right. And you about to be that guinea pig. And that's painful. So, <laughs> so I, you know, it was that it was, I went from threat to pet very quickly. I mean, from pet to threat very quickly. I came in, I was like, gang, but like, yeah, I want to be the CEO of this company. And I want to be groomed and I'm, you know, ready to go. And then I got told things like, maybe you should just sit down and be quiet. Hmm. And I was like, but I thought he, the, the senior leader asked for people to speak up in the meeting. Yeah, but can't you read the room? Who talked? I'm like, well, he did. Yeah, 
you're not him. What was that like for you? Um, it was hard. It was traumatic. Like every, <laughs> I think every job I've had has been traumatic in some way. But it made me realize, okay, if I'm going to play this game, I can't be myself. So that was the first thing. But then as I've matriculated and I mean, every job I go to, every company I go to next, it's like I get my promotions because I left. Mm-hmm. Right. So now fast forward to now and I realized, you know, I thought I was playing the game. I was like, oh, this is going to work for me. But honestly... I think my conclusion is lean into who you are and who how you're comfortable. Stop worrying about making other people so comfortable. Don't put other people's comfort before your own. And I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, I don't know about that. But you got to get comfortable with people being uncomfortable. And then you have to find the place that works for you and with you. And I've just never found that. Hmm. I've been so busy trying to fit myself into places instead of trying to find the place that's really going to take me as I am, how I show up, my ambition, you know, and not be afraid of that or not try to down that or not see that as a threat. And like, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Because I've been told that too. Like, who do you think you are? You want to be the CEO? Who do you think you are? Like literally those words, just like that. Do you... I'm so curious about this. Do you believe that that place exists? Like that place that will accept you? Not anymore. Really? No, because at least, I mean, it might, but at this point, I believe I have to build it for myself. And that's what I'm I'm trying to do now. But I, I think sometimes some people are just different and you have to discern and embrace, discern and embrace that difference. And stop trying to fit your round peg into the square hole of corporate. Like it's not, sometimes you just have to fold the towel and say, okay, what am I going to do differently? Because at this point in my career, I'm 13 years post business school. I have a lot of my classmates who are VPs and presidents and, you know, big companies, small companies, all the things. And for some of them, I know I can run circles around. But I I recognize the other thing I recognize is that when you get pushed to the side, you don't get the development. And so it'll be years and years and years. And you're not now I'm looking at myself and I'm like, could I be the CEO today of a Fortune 500 company? I haven't been developed. I haven't been pulled to the side and said, these are the things and this is how you think about it and this is how you show up. I've yet to have leadership in a company truly invest in developing me, mentoring me, not this surface level. Usually when I get mentorship, it's more a reverse mentorship and tell us how how not to be racist, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm outspoken about those things, which also becomes detrimental, in some ways, and which it shouldn't, but it does, right? These are the landmines. And so I think people who have been able to be recognized for their strengths, they've gotten roles that, you know, early on that recognize their strengths and they quickly built that reputation and they curated that narrative. And then the company invests in them and they plan the pipeline around them and they get fast-tracked. 
I just could never find that. I'm curious your perspective when it comes to like the women who follow your work and other black women who are wanting to make it in that world, Mm -hmm. but rubbing up against that, what your thoughts are for them. Don't give up. If it's in your heart, in your spirit, don't give up. That's my whole point of my podcast. Like you can do this. There are trade-offs. There are always trade-offs. Even if you go the entrepreneurship route and you start your own company and all that, now you got to suffer through, okay, how are you going to make payroll? How am I going to, you know, get sponsorships or like, mind you, these are my own things. I'm thinking, but I got to think about these things. But it's like, how do you make this business profitable and how do you grow it? And how are you going to pay your bills? I'm fortunate I have had a decent career. I have been able to save a little money. You know, I'll be okay. But like, most people, that's not their story. And they're suffering and languishing in roles. They're underpaid. They're overworked. And that's not just a Black woman's tale. That This is corporate America for all of us right now. It's some bullshit. I know. I mean, for me, like that's where some of the fire comes from, mm-hmm. right? Because the change has to start at the top. It has to start with leadership. And I just feel like with with heart-centered, strong, actual good leadership, which is quite rare and actually very, very I think pe- we don't realize how hard it is to build that. But if we do build that, mm-hmm. then like that's what I see as the solution, I think, which is a similarity across our work, right? Sort of seeing the potential of all of these women and just yes. being like, okay, a lot of the environment is against you. Don't be against yourself, though. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Exactly. That's why I said don't give up because... Yeah. You really and truly, you're one right relationship away from being one of the chosen ones in your organization. It truly is that simple. It's like it's like telling somebody, though, just eat less and exercise. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a simple formula. Yeah. But it's not easy. And I help people decipher their organizations, understand the politics and how to navigate that. And I know how to do that stuff successfully to a point. It's just, I can only pretend for so long. That's what always gets me in trouble. I I can only pretend for so long. And then I say the wrong thing. And I know I say the wrong thing. It's like, I would choose, like you're choosing to to do this. And I'm like, yeah, and see what they do. But then it always, and they always show their ass. Like I, I, it always happens. It's like, oh, I wasn't the person you wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. You figured out I'm not going to be the person you want me to be. I actually have a brain I actually can think, and I'm actually not just going to be your whipping boy or do your little bidding or you're going to you know, treat me like a subordinate instead of a thought leader. Mm-hmm. And then, then your time gets cut short. It starts ticking. And so I help people not hit nuclear buttons. I show them where the nuclear option is. I try to lay out for them. Here's the chessboard for you. Mm-hmm. Here are your options. And you get to choose. And for some people, if they are in the right environment, they can choose to be exactly who they are, say it exactly how they say it, and that will be celebrated. But for most people, particularly people of color, but for most people, and particularly women, you can't do that. And and see the next day or see it through the next restructure or, you know, even not get fired for, you know, no reason. Because mm-hmm. at will states, I can fire you for no reason at all. I don't need a reason. 
I've never once talked about in an interview the benefit of me being a diverse candidate. It doesn't help you. Even with these companies talking about diversity, this, diversity, that, like, that doesn't help you. What you need to position is how you made the company money, how you saved the company money, and what skills you plan on bringing to the table and your strategic thought. And Nobody cares what color you are intrinsically. So you bringing it up is just going to make the interviewer uncomfortable. So don't lead with that. If they ask, then you'd be proud about yourself. But for all intents and purposes, just act like a clear person and keep it pushing. Like, <laughs> you don't see my color. We're good. You don't see my gender. We're good. It's so disappointing because, like, there, I think there's such a need for that in leadership. And it's so sad. It's sad to hear that, like, no, they don't draw attention to those elements of your identity. I, I just wouldn't because, yeah. unfortunately, it's just a distraction. Keep people focused. Again, you got to drive the narrative. You got to keep people focused on what's important, which is why you should hire me, because I'm going to make you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's why I I want to encourage people to do that. I do. I was trying. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, tired. <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't define what you're doing at all as giving up in a way. Obviously, it depends, right? How you define that for yourself. True. I mean, but... I, I give up fighting from the inside. Yeah. Now I'm just going to beat doors down from the outside. Which I guess in some ways I see that as bigger than you, right? Mm-hmm. And reaching more. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move to the next one, which is this topic of imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. feeling like you're not good enough to be in the room or you don't belong in the room. We all have that. You know, I really hate that we've connected imposter syndrome to women. Do you feel that? Yeah. Oh, it's so complicated. I do. I do. Yeah. I feel that too. And I think it's bullshit because I have seen so many mediocre mics mm-hmm. shitting in their pants, <laughs> trying to show up, scared as hell, Yeah, asking for your advice on the side, on the low, <laughs> would never give you credit for the brilliance you gave them. And then they show up loud talking, sucking the air out the meeting with their thoughts that, that that you just gave them before the meeting. And all along, they don't they the imposters. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. I think I think that there are so many things that we then label as imposter syndrome also. Yeah. And so I think sometimes our experiences of it are can just be wildly different. But I think Yeah, I do think the gendered angle is interesting. I think it's normal to feel stretched when we're stretching ourselves. Yeah, and I but and I think it's gaslighting a lot of times. Yeah, like oh, you must have imposter syndrome. Like no, you told me these things. You said these little things to me. You've taken little digs at me and my work or or my thought process. Not even my work, but like. Sometimes, you know, you have coworkers that will take digs at your thought process or digs at, you know, how you're showing up in a space. And just little things like, you know, maybe next time you might want to think about blah, blah, blah. But good job. It's like, and then, and then it plants this little seed in your head 
And then you want to give that person the benefit of the doubt, but the whole time they fucking with you. Mm-hmm. Well, usually the thing they're saying isn't as critical as it feels exactly. like it is. It's usually just a very subjective thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's if they care about you. Yeah. Um, they're just giving their POV and, you know, from they're projecting most of the time. Right. But we're over here like, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And quite frankly, girl, trust your gut. Yes. I think that's bad leadership and management, too, because Mm -hmm. if you can't figure out what someone's doing well and point that out and nurture it, then you're not going to get very far, I think, by pointing out everything that you think the person is doing wrong. No, that's not. That doesn't get you anywhere. And I never position it as doing something wrong. And I would hope that, you know, the team I work with, for Trill MBA and my media company, Fair World, I hope they know, like, hey, we we all learning. And this is test and learn. This is purely test and learn, the whole thing. So if I say something or give you some feedback, it's not because you did anything wrong. And I've I've really worked to set that precedent. And I'm over here looking at Maya as <laughs> she's not listening. But <laughs> but I hope that they understand like When I give them feedback, it's never because I doubt their excellence. It's never because I question the work they've done. It's never because I don't think they're capable or don't believe in what they're bringing to the table for the company. It is purely like, hey, this is how my brain works and this is how I'm thinking about it. But I try to I try to bring them into the crazy that's going on here so that they can be empowered to go be great, right? Like, cause that's what I hired them for. And I would hope that if you, anybody out there who is not feeling that way, that you can have that conversation with your manager, mm-hmm. right? That's speaking up like, hey, I just want to make sure I'm clear that it's not that you have an issue with my, that this feedback isn't indicative of, of an issue you're seeing with my work, that this is just, hey, Maybe right now I need to be prescriptive. We're in a hurry and I just need you to make these changes. And we we can discuss my thought process. We can talk about it. But sometimes as a people manager, you just need your people to do what you told them to do. Not that you're not capable, not that you don't, you know, bring it to the table. It's just certain circumstances. Your boss is just going to be like, hey, just do this because mm-hmm. I don't have time. We don't have time. You don't have time. My boss on my ass. Like, I got to move. We got to move. And I find that a lot of people will get that that feeling of, oh, no, I must have did something wrong or I failed because they had to tell me what to do and I should have da 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 Child, you talking to somebody who got experience on you. You might not even really have thought about it like that or known or maybe you haven't even seen this situation before. You're learning. Give yourself grace. Also give your manager grace. And if you do feel a fear... Fear, false evidence appearing real. Go flush that out. Yeah. Go ask the question. I love that perspective because I feel like you're removing right and wrong as a paradigm. Yeah. And it's like we're all just growing, evolving, learning. Exactly. And then I don't I don't believe in the construct of right and wrong as we know it. I have a very strong faith. I believe in God. Jesus is my homeboy. But I believe there's merit to every religion. I just feel like God is just so great that he can be the head of all the religions. Here's the deal. If you believe in your higher power and you know he made you and gave you your gifts and your abilities, you have to trust that voice inside you to guide you 
through all these landmines at work. Mm-hmm. Period. You cannot let what other people are saying, the outside chatter, you, you can't let all that get to you. Because sometimes there's information that people have that you don't have. Sometimes there's information you have that they don't have. Everybody's operating with limited information. So you have to go with what you know and you have to trust your gut. I am just having such a reaction to that, especially that everyone's operating with limited information Mm -hmm. because I think we're quick to give our power away. Exactly. You know, and forget what you just said. And then it disconnects people from their own leadership, their own innate wisdom. I think that is, and honestly, I think it's terrifying when we think about that we all have limited information. So I think we kind of want there to be an answer out there somewhere. But that's why we have faith. You have to have some source of faith because you don't have all the answers. You don't know exactly what tomorrow's going to bring. Hell, I could you could leave here, go have a wonderful life. I could go get in my car, move it, bam. Mhm. Gone. And you like, I just saw you. Right. We there's yeah. <laughs> there's no promises. So much we don't know. So then it goes back to the imposter syndrome. Why are you stressing yourself out, girl? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like we just wind ourselves all, all the, the way. way up. <laughs> all you there have been so many times. I still have, like when I think just talking about it, like I can feel it in my body. Those times I have stressed myself out. Yes. Worrying about what these MFs are gonna think about me, and it's just like, and they don't think nothing of you. That's the thing; they ain't even thinking about you. They thinking about themselves. Yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's such a common theme of what are people gonna think of me? Child, they not. <laughs> yeah, they're they thinking not. about like the chocolate chip cookie that they want to eat. <laughs> yeah, they thinking about how they spouse and pissed them off, and what they gonna say when they get home because yeah. they fought the morning like they not thinking about you yep okay let's do one more yes sorry no this is so good i love these we're uncovering really interesting things um before we pivot and that is the topic of assertiveness and being Mm -hmm. direct all right so listen black girls uh you can't do this and it sucks because we're fighting stereotypes and the angry black woman is a stereotype that is ingrained in our culture It hurts. It so hurts because people act like black women don't have a reason to be angry in this country. (laughs) Like, there's so many reasons. And I won't even go down that rabbit hole. But you can't play into the stereotype. You actually have to counter the stereotype to be effective. So again, it's about communicating for impact. And again, shout out to Dale Carnegie. I love this dead white man. Okay. But let me tell you. What he says is about human behavior. When you communicate for impact, you cannot lead your communication with your emotion. So you cannot be angry and communicate at the same time to be effective. And so you may have every right to be angry. And in fact, you do have every right to be angry. Let me just make that very clear. When people are angry at work, they probably have been wronged. Real talk. Your coworker done did you wrong. Your boss done did you wrong. Leadership done done everybody wrong. Your cross-functionals fucked over your project. Like you probably have every right to be angry, but it is not effective for you to communicate in that space 
with that emotion. So you have to take a step back, look at your chessboard and say, okay, how I'm going to play this? What's my next four moves? That's going to help you be most effective. So my big thing is what every human being wants. They want to feel seen, feel heard, and feel like they're understood. So I always let people know, you have every right to be angry. How you're feeling, you have every right to feel that way. You are not wrong. I see you. I understand because I've been there. You've been there. We have been there, period. Feel it. Okay, now, what are we going to do? Yes, <laughs> that is gold, right? Like that one thing that you shared is useful in so many different situations. Yes, in your whole life. Yeah. Your personal life. You Like, I think a lot of times as women, we're not supposed to get mad at how society treats us. We're just supposed to take it. I think one thing that really annoys me is this idea that is still very pervasive. And it's this idea that, If I dress a certain way or I act a certain way or I say certain things, now I've given men in society permission to treat me a certain way. And I, oh, it makes me angry. It's so dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. I'm not an object for you to treat any kind of way. I am a human being. I don't care if you can see my thigh, butt cheek, whatever, my all half my nipple or areola. I don't care what you can see with what I have on. I don't care how I show up. It does not mean that now you have permission to put me in a box and treat me a certain way. That is my biggest pet peeve. You need to see me. You need to hear me and you need to understand me. And you treat me like a human being. And so when we're in corporate It's the same thing. It's like, well, if you don't show up this certain way, I now get to treat you. If you don't show up in a way that makes me comfortable and makes, reminds me of my mommy at home or, you know, reminds me of my wife or reminds me of the woman that I like in my life, then now I'm going to talk to you crazy at work because I don't respect you. I can't see you. Because you're not showing up how I deem a woman should show up. It's like the humanity is gone. The humanity is gone. I think it's so, it's, it, some of these things you're sharing are heavy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just taking some of them in and it feels really heavy to just think about that. And all of the, I'm, I'm just like hearing and feeling into the weight of some of your experiences. Yeah. But have you not had these experiences too? Yeah, definitely. But I think as a white woman, just not in the same way. Well, no, but that's what I want us to to get to a baseline of understanding, right? Like you've been mistreated as a human being. You've been mistreated as a woman. You've been mistreated as somebody that's from where you're from, probably. Um, That when you get in an environment that's not where you're from, you may have been judged by the school you've gone to. You may have been judged you know, by the degrees you have, right? Like there's always, or the degree you don't have, like I didn't go to Harvard, you know? And so in these situations, there's so much more commonality because of the stupid crap that goes on in corporate than we think. And I want us to start 
seeing that. I want us to start recognizing that. I want us to recognize each other. I want you to see yourself in me. That leads so well into the next question, actually, (laughs) which is all around Black women and white women working together, Mm -hmm. specifically in the corporate space, just because that's what our shows focus on and the stereotypes that come up and just some of the things that get in the way. I want to hear all your thoughts on that. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been called a Karen? And how do you feel about that? Not to me, but I don't know. I could have been. Yeah, but not like directly to my face. So to me, I feel like this is a perfect time for black women and white women to hold hands because now a little bit you understand because being called a Karen is similar to being treated and called like angry black woman. Like, it's not the case. And it's a lot of times you're treated that way or called out in that way to diminish you so you can shut up. Because most of the time you're saying the right thing and somebody's trying to silence you. Because why else would, if we're working together and I want you to do something for me as my colleague and you won't, and then I'm like, she's just being a Karen. Well, you you haven't made the business case. I'm not telling you no, I'm telling the business no because I'm trying to do my job. But you don't want to give me the benefit of doubt. You want to dehumanize me and you want to reduce me to name calling or these stereotypes. It's the same thing with black women. And so for me, the life of me, I don't know how we get the trust. I've never trusted any white manager I've ever had, to be Mm. honest. But then on the flip side, there are Black women I've worked with that have had black managers and they're like, uh-uh, no, nah, because it'd be your own. That's what they'll say. And I'm like, dang, because I've worked with some great black managers. The best manager I've had in my corporate career was a black woman. And she took time to teach me. She was developing me. She was grooming me for the next level. And I never really had that from many of my managers yeah. at all. But I I had a white manager who was really, really good. I loved her a lot. Affectionately, I call her Hannah. Hannah's feisty. She's loud. She's a loud white woman. (laughs) She grew up in Oakland, California. (laughs) Grew up very diverse. So she loves all the peoples. But she just is, I love her to death. She loud. And the thing is, as a black woman, you know, you, you get called loud a lot. Even if you're not, it's just a stereotype. So to have this white woman be boisterous and loud in the office and, you know, talk about the art of speaking up, honey. She was passionate and fiery and all the things. And she still is. But she knew her shit and she was on her shit and she's beastly at what she does. Like, I I would work for her and I would hire her. Chick is bad. She's smart. But the thing is, I remember... And I probably should tell her this, but I haven't. So here we go. Sorry, if you ever listen to this, you know who you are, Hannah. Um, that's not her real name. So, But um, we were talking about development. And I told her, I said, I want to be the CEO of this company. And I, I can't say the company either because <laughs> then people will be like, oh, we know who you worked for. But I was like, I want to be CEO of this company. And she said to me, no, you don't. Why would you want to do that? And I know it came from a place, a good place. Mm-hmm. But I was like, see, this is why you can't trust white women. <laughs> that was my thought. 
nothing like sharing your dream with someone, like having the courage to speak it out loud and then like the, them just like bursting the exactly. bubble. It's the worst exactly. feeling. Yeah. But quite frankly, is that was that because she's white? No, probably not. But again, my world is colored, right? And so I really have to work on when is it systemic things and when is it just this lady is projecting because she don't want to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. No, no, she don't want it because she's like, why would you want to do that? Because you have to do this, you have to be that and blah, blah, blah. And mind you, so the funny thing was she saw herself in me and that we're both passionate and fiery because we would have some conversations, right? (laughs) But all love, it was always all love. And I really know that she was like, no, you're just like me, girl. You don't want that. Yeah. Taking you under her wing kind of thing. Yeah. And so I was just like, you're not going to listen to me because you now you put this in your mind and you're anchored on it. And so my hope is at some point I will share this. I will talk to her and be like, hey, girl, hey, look, I got to talk to you about this. So in the future, your direct reports, if they say they want to be the CEO of the company, you all you need to say is, how can I help you get there? Yeah. That's that's all as a people manager. The answer is, well, how can I help you get there? Let's let's strategize. Yeah. And that's great. Like if you have someone with your level of ambition on a team as a manager, I'm like, OMG, this is going to be amazing. Yes, because you are going to work your ass off. I'm going to work you like a mule. Yes. Like, let's get you there. Like, let's get started. It starts here type of thing. But for some reason, you tell somebody you want to be the CEO of the company and you're not, you know, the CEO's son or daughter. And then everybody's like, you want to do what? Why you want to do that? Oh, that don't make no sense. Oh, no, no, no. But when a guy says it. Nobody questions it. Yeah, it's like our brains can't compute it the same Nobody way. Nobody questions it. Yeah. That. Everybody's like, yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob is dumb, okay? <laughs> Bob can't work Excel, and he damn <laughs> sure can't put together a PowerPoint slide. Yes. He gets other people to put together his PowerPoint slides with his charm. Mm-hmm. And he's charming. Bob is very fucking charming. Oh, this is too true. <laughs> like, this is landing in a deep place. Yeah. Bob, you need to learn Excel. Like, you need to at least know basic data entry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And stop asking the women colleagues to do your fucking work, Bob. Oh, my goodness. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm talking about you. <laughs> A hit dog will holler. There are about 20% of my listeners are men. So we might have some bobs. Yeah. Mine too. I'm just imagining though they're the good ones. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In terms of this idea of black women and white women coming together, having a deeper understanding for those who are listening and are feeling inspired by that, what would you want to ask them to think about or do or consider? For... White women, rule number one, don't touch us. Don't touch our hair. Don't ask about our hair. Don't pet us. Let's lean into humanity. I think there's a lot of people, and I know somebody's probably going to be offended by what I just said, and I don't really care because it's still happening. I have clients that come to me and be like, my coworker touched my braids. And I was like, this was three months ago. Why? Have we not learned don't yeah. touch people. Kindergarten rules. Don't touch people. Be kind. Say kind words. I don't know where 
what happens between kindergarten and working like that 20 some years i don't know what happens but like we need to get back yeah <laughs> to what our kindergarten teachers taught us maybe we need to read some show silverstein or some cat in the hat or i don't i don't know what we need to dr seuss i don't know but we need to go back to elementary school and those rules still apply and so i would say for white women it's making yourself trustworthy doing the work to learn on your own not wanting the answer handed to you and i don't know if that's a generational thing because i find and it's annoying to me, but I find now people won't even Google. They'll just, well, it's just faster to ask you. No, it's lazy for you to ask me. Go go find out. Show me, bring me your work if you get stuck, right? Take that approach. I think for Black women, oh, this hurts me to say because we need to be more vulnerable. <laughs> we do. We need to... Open up a little bit. Sometimes we come off as just wall. Just, no, I'm good. I'm playing the game. I'm here. I'm corporate. Yeah, no, girl. <laughs> oh, no, I can't make I can't make the happy hour. Y'all have fun. Like, we play yeah. this game, and then we go hang out and brunch with our friends. And I hate these bitches at work. Okay. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe you can give them a chance. And I really do think we need to be honest about Something that black women talk about. Oh, I'm about to get in trouble. It's okay. I think we need to have this conversation. Let's do it. So an annoying example is when, let's say there's another police shooting of an unarmed black person. The next day, white colleagues come to work. Oh, did you see The Bachelorette on TV? And we're like, this is what y'all want to talk about. I'll never forget. I think Trayvon Martin had died and. I had a meeting and I'm like trying to keep it together, trying not to be angry, trying to understand like what the hell is happening? Why is this happening? And these fools on me, we're talking about the, you know, the chit chat before the meeting starts. Did you see the bachelorette? Oh my God, Tom and Bob and whoever, whoever. I don't know. I don't watch that shit. And I just need white people to recognize that we don't watch the same programs. And I need y'all to go figure out what programs we do watch. And I need you to take an interest and then come talk to us about it. Like, hey, I saw Insecure on HBO. And you might be as uncomfortable as fuck, but I need you to build a bridge. Because I watch, even though I don't watch The Bachelorette, I know about all your shows. Why? Because that's all y'all talk about at work. It's like white people being like a little white bubble at work. And they think that inclusion is having me in the meeting and working with me. But yet y'all got y'all little side jokes. And like, I have a girlfriend that works for a company. I won't call this, I won't call this out, but we were talking about this and her company is a conservative company, well-known brand, and people love working there. Right. So the, the culture is not a bad culture. It's a good culture puts humanity first, but. She notices, you know, there there isn't very many black people based on where this company is located. You would think a whole lot more black people would work there because it's in a major metropolitan city. But she noticed like, hey, I'm sitting with my team and I, I love these people. They're really cool people, but I still don't feel 
again, that vulnerability. She's like, I can't because I don't relate because they're talking about, you know, they've been at the company 10 years. She's only been there two years. And then they're talking about, you know, their inside jokes and their things. And so you have to understand sometimes that micro language isn't very inclusive because I wasn't there. Y'all over here, Kiki and having a good time. And I'm just sitting there with y'all and I'm supposed to just nod my head and that's okay. And it's, it, again, people want to feel seen, heard, and understood. Now I'm invisible. So I'm hearing y'all are talking over and around me. You're not including me in the conversation. And I think we all kind of know the feeling of like being outside of something. We it's all the do. Worst, whether we it's at a party do. or just it can happen in so many places. So many places. But when when it's happening to us, we're so aware of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But so unaware when we're doing it to somebody, mm-hmm. not thinking anything of it. So I think I need us to be more conscious of that, especially white people at work. Like, please be more conscious of your conversation with folks. Like, we don't listen to the same music. We don't watch the same TV shows. But we might. But we probably don't. And any other pieces that are coming to mind on this topic that you would want to share? Black people at work, we, again, we got to meet in the middle. So it's like, when white people do engage you, like, share something. It's okay to say... Yeah, I was with my family this weekend. We had a good time. We went to the beach. You know, I have a son or daughter. I know some black people, they won't, they don't have any pictures of their family at work. They don't. Now, mind you, it's a cultural thing to have this stuff at your job. So your desk is minimalist. You you don't even got a plan. You you just got like your trays here, your cup holders of pens, your laptop dock thing. And maybe like a calendar, and that's your desk. Because at any given time, you can grab your purse and walk out this bitch and not be concerned. Like, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want nothing here, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of our MO. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't see that. I don't see white people doing that. White people come, they bring candles, books, plants. They got pictures. They got their whole family. People come by their desk, talk to them. Like, yeah, this is my five-year-old. That's my heart. And then I got this teenager, you know, his daddy died. And I found love again, girl. You can find the, are you married? Do you have kids? And you'd be like, (laughs) you're like, this is getting very personal very quickly. And then they start asking questions. You're like, yeah, so I got to go. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go get some more coffee, Jill. See you later. Like, just panic. Because we've been taught culturally, don't tell them white folks your business. Literally, those are the words. Don't tell them white folks your business. But then how are they supposed to relate to you on a human level if you don't share your humanity? So we've got to find the middle ground. What I do, what I tell my coaching clients to do is I say, go Google yourself and share the things that Google says about you. So like, for example, for me, um, if you Google me, my grandma's obituary comes up, my mom's obituary comes up, my LinkedIn will come up, the Trill BA show will come up. So these are all things I share at work. What I don't share, who I'm dating, who I'm sleeping with, right? That don't come up, mostly because it's non-existent. But <laughs> if it did exist, I still wouldn't talk you about wouldn't it, right? Yeah. I'm a very Beyonce on that. Like 
I'm married to who? No, nah, who told you that? <laughs> Keep that under wraps. Yeah. No photos on the next Right. No. Yeah. No. But my mom, my grandma, yeah, I talk about them all day long. They're dead. I can talk about them. <laughs> I can tell all their business, all their stories. They don't care. And I do. But then that humanizes me for you. Like, I got a grandma. Mm-hmm. I had a mom. Oh, my grandma was spicy. Oh, but my grandma also made me fudge too. Right? Like, yeah. we can now connect. And relate. And I didn't tell you anything that wasn't on Google. Yeah, I think that's such helpful advice Mm -hmm. because this is something I see a lot. People struggle with the small talk. They get stuck. They don't know where to begin. Yeah, because it's like, I don't want to tell you anything. That's really like, yeah, (laughs) like I don't know you. I don't know, know you. Plus, we work together. And two, you think I'm about to get your promotion and I don't trust you. Right. Yeah. So like Yeah. <laughs> it can you know, you're 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 battling office politics. But the truth of the game of corporate is building your likability. Your likability is everything. And how you build likability is getting people to know you on a human level. So that's why those that's why these people do all these happy hours and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't like you, I can't work with you. If I don't like you, I can't promote you. If I don't like you, I can't recommend you for that big assignment overseas with the great visibility. It all starts with me liking you. But I have to know, I have to get to know you to like you. Yes. And then you've got to give me something to go off of so that I can get to know you. Exactly. Google. Google is your best friend. Google if you'd like to sponsor our podcast. (laughs) Perfect. We'll take it sold. Yes. (laughs) Well, before we pivot into the closing questions, let's talk about where everyone can find you. You can find me on all socials at Trill MBA Show. So Trill, let me explain what Trill is. I probably should do that. Trill is a urban slang started in Texas, Port Arthur, Texas. Shout out to the rap group UGK, Underground Kings. They really coined the word trill because it's like, I'm going to keep it true and real. I'm trill. Like, I'm the trillest this, trillest that. So this is a rap I grew up with coming from South Texas. And so when I was at Kellogg Foods, so this was like 2013, I was a ABM assistant brand manager. And my colleague, Krista, she she used to call me because I was like, I'm the Trillist MBA you'll ever know. And so she started calling me TTMBA, the Trillist MBA. And I was like, I'm just going to start using that. And so that became your name. Yeah, it oh became. Yeah, I just was like using it. And some people be like, as marketers, my friends were like, uh, people don't know what that means. And I'm like, well, then they gonna have to ask. Like, I just I stuck with it. It's trademarked now. I'm like, no, we're riding with this because I just wanted it to connote the fact that I wanted to be super honest. Like I wanted to keep it real. I wanted to tell the truth from my perspective and my words unfiltered. And that's really where that comes from. And then, you know, I'm an MBA. Yes. And so where can we find it? At Trill MBA Show. Oh, on all the socials. On like all the socials. And then TrillMBA.com. And if you want to reach out to me, have questions, you can hit up ask at TrillMBA.com. So it's simple, just ask us. Amazing. And we will link it in the show notes. (laughs) Yes. All of the different places. And now we're going to get into the closing questions. These are the questions that I ask every guest. The first one is just, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you want to speak to? 
we touched on, you know, how can we as people, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, all the boxes, how can we come together and help each other in corporate? Something that I took note of is you'll say, and it's not wrong, you're right, you'll say, and tell me about your community. And what I would really love is that you see my community as your community and your community as my community because we're all corporate. Like we're all struggling in corporate. And I'm just wondering, like, how can we get there? Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I think it makes sense. And I'm I'm thinking about the how. I don't have a, um, an immediate answer. Right. Because yeah. I feel like I feel like if I if the shoes were reversed, I would have done the same thing. And or like if somebody from the LGBTQ plus community and we were having this conversation about corporate, I would have said, well, York, I would say that because that's what it is. But I'm just wondering, like, how can we get to a point as employees? Because we all employees and a lot of us are suffering in so many different ways. So how do we get to have each other's backs? Because the C-suite and the shareholder, it should be us against the C-suite and the shareholders. Mm -hmm. Like it really should be. Like that's where we need to get to. But instead there's always this little infighting and things and, you know, battling the mics and the bobs of the world who are trying to oppress us. Like (laughs) how do we... How do we, because even like short white men that don't have blonde hair and blue eyes, like y'all should be our ally. Y'all should feel our pain because Mm -hmm. y'all get passed over too. Mm -hmm. It's that united front. Yeah. How do we create the united front? And I know that's a big question. I'm not necessarily... (laughs) Well, I don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't want you to feel like, dang, I got to really answer that. I'm, this, this is what keeps me up at night. Jess. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I guess what is coming up for me as I reflect is, well, maybe it starts by pointing out where the separateness is happening, right? Like mm-hmm. to first see where there's separateness if because you pointing that out is kind of drawing attention to something. So mm-hmm. it almost seems like. Maybe that is a first step to see where is their separateness happening and why is that happening? Well, I mean, we know why slavery. So (laughs) it's capitalism. (laughs) Like we we know the why, but the why is such a behemoth. And I think every person feels like, well, I can't solve that. And you're right. You can't solve it alone. We got to solve it together. But how do we do that? Mm-hmm. And how do we have the uncomfortable conversations? Um, because they are uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I don't want to just sit up and call white women out for watching The Bachelor. There's nothing wrong with watching The Bachelor. Just when you come to work, like, maybe understand everybody don't watch The Bachelor. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think the uncomfortable conversation in and of itself is so powerful. It can be messy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to go perfectly. But I hope at least that maybe people can hear this conversation and feel like maybe they can have some version of this conversation. Yes. And also the other thing I want to bring up is just because a black woman's face looks like she's unhappy she may just have gas, guys. Don't read the facial. Don't take that and run with it because you're using mental shortcuts when you do that. And you're making assumptions that I can tell you 89% of the time is just not what you're thinking. 
All right. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I have lots of thoughts, though. I want to hear them. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, just in general, all the time. Like, yeah. they just come up. I have ADHD. My brain's like, do, 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 do. That is that works very well for my brain too. So focusing on one thing is very hard for me. me too. <laughs> very hard. See? Yes. I'm telling you. I like to have lots of pots on the stove. Me yeah. too. Yeah. So that's drives totally my team fine. crazy. <laughs> um this podcast is called The Art of Speaking Up. Yes. What does the art of speaking up mean to you? It means that you play chess, not checkers. That's what that means. And it means that you don't hide, strategize. Yes. Chestnut checkers. That is so good. I love that. And for the final question, so the reason that I ask this question is because I created this show because I had this really difficult time in my career. I was struggling with confidence. I wasn't feeling good about Mm -hmm. myself. And I felt like there wasn't a lot of honest conversation about that. I was just like, is everyone else just okay? And it's just me. No, no. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to start this show because maybe someone like me will find it Mm -hmm. and realize that nothing's wrong with them. They're not alone. And that they're going to figure it out. They have what they need to figure it out. And so I love to give this last opportunity to the guest just to speak directly to someone who might be in a rough patch or who might just be needing that like extra boost of encouragement to believe in themselves. Listen, guys, you can't fail. There's either wins or lessons and you need the lessons for your next win, but you cannot lose. Mistakes are actually good things. I don't know if you were like me, but I was taught, don't make mistakes. Don't make simple mistakes. Like, can't make any mistakes. A's, 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 A's. That's great and all, but that's not life. Life is messy. Life is gray. Work is messy. Work is gray. Because work is a part of our lives. And so you have to give yourself grace. Um, You're not always going to get it right because you got to learn. If you always got it right, what are you learning? You're not growing. You got to fuck it up sometimes and be okay with that. Yeah. And deeply be okay with that. And trust your gut and bet on yourself. You got to. Because if you don't, you're going to be on your deathbed wishing you did. I want to go out with no regrets. Mm. I feel that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I know some of that sounds cliche. It's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what's next really, except for what I came out here to do. Um, We're working to turn the Trill NBA show into a television show. Right. I don't know the first thing about TV. I'm a classically trained CPG marketer. (laughs) (laughs) So... We'll figure it out. I'm make. I've already made mistakes. I've made lots of. Getting to here was lots of trust, <laughs> lots of mistakes. But I learned. I'm growing. Team's growing. We'll get there if I just keep trying yeah. and not give up and not give up on myself. And that's so hard, though. Again, eat less, exercise more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to feel great. No. It's okay if it feels shitty. Yeah. It's fine. Just don't give up. Yes. That is so inspiring. Thank you for leaving us on such an empowering note. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for coming to the studio to do your show. It's been amazing. <laughs> I feel spoiled. This is great. I love it. I've, um, 
I really do appreciate you for trusting me and sharing me with your audience. I don't take that lightly. I'm very precious about my audience. And I want to make sure that anybody comes on the show or any show I'm on, that we're giving them something that they can take away and really impact their lives. And I know that is your work too. We are very similar in that. And so I just appreciate you for having me on your show. My pleasure. And I feel like this episode will for sure have impact. I feel so excited about that. Yes. Yeah. We're doing it. We're changing the world. We're changing the world, Jessica. (laughs) One podcast episode at a time. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning into today's conversation. I will put Felicia's information, her podcast, and her social links in the show notes so that you can follow her and tune into and follow her podcast, The Trill MBA Show. And a big thanks to Felicia for her wisdom and openness. I loved her analogy of checkers versus chess when it comes to being thoughtful and strategic in the choices that you make in your corporate career. I thought that was such a helpful way to think about it. And another one of my big takeaways from this conversation is that when it comes to allyship in the workplace and women of all identities banding together, one thing that I took away personally is that understanding more about our similarities and the ways in which we are the same is equally powerful as understanding our differences and the way in which our experiences are different. And the more we can be doing both of these things, the stronger we'll be as a collective. Thank you again to Felicia for coming on the show. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm so grateful to have you here. And I can't wait to catch you next week. Have an amazing day. Bye.